When it comes to down there, there is so much we still don't know about our own bodies. And even worse, it seems like a lot of healthcare professionals don't seem to know what's going on down there either. It isn't exactly comforting. So when a condition that I can barely pronounce, but it is called vaginismus, is considered to be a healthcare enigma to many, I'm even more concerned. Do I have it? In this episode, I get to talk to Tracy McNeil, a former chemical engineer and women's health pioneer. She is leading a pelvic health revolution to empower and improve the health of millions of women across the United States and hopefully Canada soon. As president and CEO of MedTech Innovators Materna Medical, part of her campaigning includes championing awareness of the much misunderstood and greatly undiagnosed condition, vaginismus. Tracy's work is future-proofing women's health issues, and we are super lucky to have this trailblazer who passionately believes in the importance of women and female-led femtech in this country. So tune in and listen to Tracy McNeil. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Jackie. Great to be here. Um, Tracy, you and I seem to have a very similar mission, which would be to shed light on women's health, uh, especially reproductive health. Uh, this is an area that we're very passionate about at She 2.0 because of like my own personal experience. And, you know, just seeing other women go through this where they feel sort of dismissed and overlooked, which is one thing. But I think the other big issue is there just really isn't a ton of research and support out there for women and, you know, and postmenopausal symptoms, perimenopausal symptoms and reproductive health. Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited about your leadership in this space. Happy to compare notes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit, Tracy, like how you got into it. I mean, our listeners have heard ad nauseum <laughs> uh, <laughs> my experience, but what led you to, you know, like, tell me a little bit about what you're doing and why it's so important. Yeah, well, I, you know, I consider myself a recovering engineer, really. I'm a medtech. <laughs> commercialization expert. And um, this is my first chance to work in women's health. Um, I was recruited by the board in 2019 to take over the company and take the products to the commercial um, chapter. And I, like you, had never heard of a lot of these things. And so, um, so for example, we'll talk today about Millie, our um, vaginal dilator for use in uh, with vaginismus, which no one has ever heard of. The millions of people I've that never. have never heard of it. <laughs> Um, so that's, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to share that and hopefully we can help some people in the audience, um, and their friends. Cause what I found is that friends talk to friends. Yeah. Right. And, and so that happens to me a lot in, in circulating is that people can be like, Oh, you know what? I think has that. Um, or I have that. And, you know, people will yeah. definitely, um, talk about it more and more and more. Um, and so, uh, th- that's, that's really been my journey is, um, of discovery, just like you. Uh, I just think there's so much work to do here. Yeah, yeah there is. And I think um, the, the topic we're going to talk about today specifically, which I cannot pronounce vaginismus. Um, I'll never be able to <laughs> pronounce that. Vaginismus. Um, you know, that like so many other conditions, um, there is help for it, but you just have to know how to get that help. And that starts with even knowing what this is. And, you know, when I first heard about this uh, from you, I honestly have never heard of it before, couldn't pronounce it, and I still don't really understand what it is. So, yeah. and I do a lot of research. So I figure if I don't know this, then I bet you most of our listeners don't know this either. 
Yep. Oh my gosh. So excited. So just excited to have the opportunity to, to, to share. So yeah. the, I think, well, let's start with, with painful sex, right? So the technical, tra- the clinical term for that is dyspareunia, also a word a lot of people haven't I heard. Never heard that one either. <laughs> dyspareunia, right? That's so we have, we have FDA clearance for Millie for vaginismus and associated dyspareunia, right? So this is what we get to, to put into our marketing claims, but vaginismus <laughs> is really an overactive pelvic floor disorder. So if you ask women, do you feel like you've got a contracted pelvic floor? Do you have pelvic pain? Um, do, do, do you feel like you've got to pee all the time? Right. So when the, when the pelvic, so the pelvic floor muscles are in a circle, right? So for example, some people might be able to relate to this. I relate to this. I get like a neck thing when I'm stressed, like, so the shoulder yeah. kind of creeps up. Yeah. Chronically. Um, I can stretch that out because it crosses a joint, right? So I can go to physical therapy and I can stretch that muscle out. Um, it's hard to do that. For the pelvic floor because it's in a circle. So once the pelvic floor gets chronically contracted, really the only way to stretch it back out is passively, right? So you can, if you're fortunate, you live in a zip code where there's a pelvic floor physical therapist. There are so few of them in the United States, and I'm not sure where Canada is, but I'm guessing it's better but similar. Similar there just isn't enough worldwide, um, and, and not enough knowledge that they even exist or what they do. Right, exactly. Getting certified in pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, is is not as easy as it should be, um, but it is rapidly growing, and investors are investing in that because everyone knows it, because of people like you, the, the word is getting out that one in three women has painful sex. One yeah. in three. Shocking, I right? actually that's shocking. Um, is that is that something you would say is related to aging and childbirth, or can this Those happen? Are two categories. So yeah, so. There's in the U.S. So my my numbers are more U.S. centric, um, but I'd love to talk about Canada and hear from you what you see. Um, but the so about in in America there are about sixty million people in menopause. Sixty million. Wow! Wow! Right. So yeah. that so what happens for so painful sex is a super common part of menopausal symptoms. The tissue gets yeah. drier. The tissue gets thinner. So where we would come, so those are not things that we specifically address at Materna, but what happened, but vaginismus, this overactive pelvic floor disorder is a secondary condition, right? So once the tissue is drier and thinner, sex hurts, she might avoid it. She might've been married for a long time to someone she's not having sex with anymore. Yeah. Um, she might've gotten divorced, right? So, um, and I, I just want to talk about gender pronouns really briefly. Uh, I use she as a simplification, but I just want to say we're inclusive to all genders, um, yep. people who identify as women or people who don't, but who have vaginas. The, the, the reason we were, I want to just say that is um, we, we do try to just be inclusive, but it is a complex landscape, especially when people hate the word vagina, which they do. So. <laughs> Maybe you could come up with a new word for that. <laughs> no. And I appreciate you saying that because when we do talk on the podcast, you know, it is hard to use pronouns because you know you're talking about such a vast audience mm-hmm. but yes so, so when we when we are so she i just need to so i'm just putting a disclaimer up at the front um and thank you for that um so so this so people have um this condition as a secondary condition usually to a primary condition so one of the primary conditions is menopause huge category childbirth is another reason that people can end up with an overactive pelvic floor so couple of things can happen with childbirth. And we do have another product in, in a, a very large randomized clinical trial right now, 
trying to reduce pelvic floor injury during childbirth. Oh, wow. Um, Yes. So what, what happens So two things can happen, lots of things can happen, but in this world, we'll just keep it simple. Um, the pelvic floor can be damaged and the muscles that actually hold our organs in place, the levator anti-complex. So your, so your urethra, vagina, rectum all go through this kind of seatbelt of muscles. And those muscles can separate from the bone as the baby comes through. Ouch. About 30% of the time, actually it's an extremely common condition. And women often end up with pelvic floor laxity issues. So Mm -hmm. that would be prolapse or an incontinence. Um, Yeah. So our our clinical trial is aiming to see if we can reduce that pelvic floor injury rate. And in our pilot study at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, this is published, peer review published, uh, we reduced the pelvic floor injury rate by about 60%. Wow. I know. We're really excited. Oh my gosh. Can you send that to Canada ASAP? (laughs) (laughs) I should discuss Jackie. Yes. (laughs) Um, So that's a big part of what Matern is working on right now. Millie is our first product that hit the market. Uh, It just got FDA clearance in December of 2021. So not not quite a year ago. And that's for this overactive pelvic floor disorder. Now that can happen from childbirth also, but it's a different biomechanical mechanism, right? So what happens there is that if there's been pain, that if there's, we'll say there can be, it's normal to have temporary pain Mm -hmm. after giving birth. Right? Yeah, of course. Um, but if it goes on for a while, for some months, then you can get this this chronic pelvic floor contraction as a secondary symptom. And that would be what we would call secondary vaginismus, secondary pelvic overactive pelvic floor disorder. Very, very treatable. We'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Other reasons that women can have painful sex. Um, cancer survivors. Yes. Millions of uh, patients every year go through... Um, radiation vaginally from all kinds of pelvic cancers, you know, uterine, cervical, um, but also they can often receive radiation vaginally for breast cancer. And chemotherapy drugs often put women into a sudden menopause. Mm-hmm. So then they end up with all the same symptoms that menopausal patients have with dry thin tissue that um, makes sex hurt. And then they end up with this chronic contraction. Like it's just an anticipatory response. The body just knows it's going to hurt and contract yeah. and then get into this pain spasm pain cycle the physical therapists know all about it's the same it's the same spasm cycle with neck pain and back pain right so mm-hmm. how do you interfere with that that's really what we're trying to do the other the other category i want to just there's two other categories i want to nod to because this is such a huge group of people um sexual assault survivors so about one in six women are sexually assaulted very normal to have a hard time relaxing yeah After that, even if you want to Right. So this is more of a mind body thing. It's less of a biological thing, but more of a mind body thing, but real. It's not in your head. It's real. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing uh, is just a big category that I just call pelvic pain patients, but that's the big players there are endometriosis, uh, fibroids, uh, fibromyalgia, Crohn's disease. So there's a lot of reasons that women can have pelvic pain, but what, for whatever re- the, the original primary condition is, the secondary condition is really what we're trying to treat. So I definitely fall into this perfectly because um, I have so much to say about this. Um, <laughs> so excited to hear your feedback. Well, I so I have um, chronic pelvic, uh, well, painful sex, and I've had a few different opinions, and there's definitely some atrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is such a like vicious cycle for women. You lose your libido during menopause. 
So you're not having sex. So your pelvic floor isn't getting exercise, basically. Yeah. So things are the skin, you know, the tissue is thinning. Mm -hmm. And it's the perfect storm. And then you go to have a pap smear, have sex, and it hurts like hell. And like you said, then you just, and, and that's where I'm at. I just like, oh, I can't yeah, right. stand can't die, the thought right? of it. Yeah. And it's terrible because, you know, I'm married. So I think about what if I was single in my 40s and maybe my libido is going down the toilet and I don't really realize it because I'm single and I'm, maybe I'm not dating. And, mm -hmm. um, then I'm not self-pleasuring or doing anything like that because I have no libido. And then I, you know, I go maybe a year or two before a pap smear. And that's when I find out the damage has been done because you don't feel that on unless you are triggering it. Right. If you're not really aiming for any wanted penetration, right? If you're not um, trying to have sex or you're not using tampons anymore and you're not getting yeah. exam, you, you probably don't know that you have this condition. And then it's, it's a really common thing when women do get divorced or start dating and start dating again in their fifties, they go to have sex and they won't go in and it's bleeding. And yeah. Right. And they're, and they're like, well, who, what happened to me? Right. Mm -hmm. Who knew? I was talking to my sister about this. Who knew the vagina is a use it or lose it kind of thing. Oh right? my gosh. You and I are kindred spirits. Um, <laughs> I used to say that all the time. And Ramona, um, the co-founder, she 2.0 always laughs at that because she thinks it's so dramatic. I'm like, nope, you don't use it. You're going to lose it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so what is, maybe we can talk about like, so what is Millie? <laughs> yes. I love you Millie. Can, you can find out about Millie on millieforher.com again. Uh, and looking to expand our inclusive pronouns, but it is millieforher.com. And um, the, it is the, so the standard of care, again, I'm a recovering engineer. So when I came to Materna and I looked at this whole thing and I looked at the standard of care, the standard of care was invented like in the 1800s. It's by a man. Uh, it's it's uh, probably <laughs> vagin the word vaginismus was definitely coined by a man. Yeah. It was a very old, it's a very old fashioned term. Oh, it is. And the whole industry is trying to figure out a better term. Um, but it was coined by um, a, a physician who was working with women who were getting married and trying to have sex for the first time and were scared. Wow. It's a very Victorian kind it of term, really right? is. So wow. From okay. what the modern condition, like back then, most of us didn't live to menopause, right? Right. That's so, right. So, you know, it's a whole new world that we're in. And um, I have so much to say about this. But anyway, the standard of care is basically a graduated series of dildos. And the offer to a woman who's lucky enough to find, to a patient who's lucky enough to find a clinician who knows what's going on. We'll, we'll recommend this sort of $50 bunch of plastic dildos. And she's supposed to jam them in, in sequence, in sequence, just crank the tissue back open. Ow. Um, which is basically the last thing you would ever want to offer a patient who has pain and anxiety about wanted penetration, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. I was completely shocked as a med tech engineer that that's the stand, like that's what we've got to offer these patients. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as a side note, um, this is an incredibly emotional condition for people, right? Because yeah. uh, our society, and I think this is true in Canada and in the U.S. and, and probably the U.K. And actually, I would say this is probably true worldwide, that our society links a woman's worth with her ability to please a man. 
Uh, yeah, right? very much and so. so right? Visually so, appealing, you know, doing all the things, manicure, self-care, like it's crazy. It is pretty hard to sort of look in the, like in the mirror as a society. So when I'm no, if I'm no longer able to please my man and it hurts me, right? It's a very, very upsetting time. And especially if I'm going to the doctor, and this is what happens to most of our patients. Our patients have seen, on average, four, four clinicians who can't help them. They get told all kinds of things, mostly some version of it's in your head. Try to relax. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just small. Um, have a glass of wine. That's one of my favorites. Wow. Um, but also get Try yourself out more. Yeah, maybe you don't like your husband. Maybe you're not in love with him anymore. Are oh, you my God. You know, where you raped as a child, like all kinds of stuff that, you know, in the context of this ask is so upsetting. Yeah. So it, what Millie is, is an expanding vaginal dilator. So it goes in about the size of your pinky, which some women, that's still, some patients, that's still pretty big. But for most pe- people, it's they can manageable. They can get, if they can get anything in at all, they can get Millie in. Yep. Um, and there are some people who can't get anything in at all. And for that, wow. we recommend, you know, we, we have great cl- clinicians who recommend, you know, I call it proximity therapy, but just sort of get it near and Millie vibrates. So you can sort of try to desensitize the tissue with vibration. Um, but anyway, it goes in about the size of your pinky and gets about uh, to, to about the size of an average penis. Okay. And it, it expands. So the milli name is it expands one millimeter at a time at the patient's okay. discretion inside the anatomy. So you don't have to keep taking it out and putting it back in. You just every treatment session. So it's basically at home physical therapy, but at the patient's discretion. And it goes in a little USB charging case that's discreet. You don't have this like set of gross, embarrassing dildos on your bedside or <laughs> Your collection. Quiet time to (laughs) dilate. Um, And we also recommend that it's uh, what we find is our patients do better um, when it's used in conjunction with their partner. Um, And so just a little shout out to uh, to the folks listening. You know, if if you're not talking to your partner about it, it's a lot harder. Statistically, what we see is that if if your partner doesn't know and you're hiding it, um, it's going to be harder to make progress. You know, and the more included the partner is, the better they do using it as preparation for sex, um, you know, just gently opening things back up makes it easier. So it's really just all about gradual, gradual dilation and putting the patient in control. I like, I like that. And I, I think you just like, you touched on a really important point is like all around menopause is the lack of communication. So talking to your partner, I mean, your partner is probably feeling rejected and thinks it's something personal, right? Do you hear that a lot? Yeah, the, the partners, in the interviews we've done with partners, I mean, I can't make any claims about this one way or the other. There's sort of anecdotal, but generally, I would say the frustration level's high. The the, the really wonderful, part, some people need partnerectomies. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there was somebody who's not very nice about it. Um, but mostly what we see is the partners really want their, their, part, their, their patients, our patients to heal. And they don't know how. Um, and generally, all what what their experience is that they've shared with us is that the more they push, the harder it is, right? So it's really yeah, all about and it creates and like a resent- yeah resentment. Yeah. And 
we have like my husband and I, you know, we, we are not able to have sex right now until I get myself sorted out. And I've tried a few things. I am doing pelvic floor therapy now, which I have to say is amazing, but I didn't know about it. No doctor told me about it. I learned about it through the podcast. It's crazy that, you know, just I learned. So basically I learned about it through my own research, but yeah. you know, the problem is like, not alone. Yeah. And that's how most women are finding these things out. Like you said, women talk to women, but you know, it's sad that it impacts our sex life, which impacts our marriage. This is sometimes the way we connect with our partners and we don't have that. Yeah. This happens. Yeah. Um, I didn't even really take into consideration, you know, uh, women who are abused or assaulted. I can't even imagine that. It's so common and, we, it, and we're silent about it. Yeah. And, you know, we, when you, you talk, know, we're not alone at all. It's super common. It is. And, yeah. and same thing with, you know, menopause. A hundred percent of women will go through it. Yet we feel alone, which is so crazy, right? Because we yeah. are... We are sheltered from it. Um, but this, this, you know, the topic alone around menopause and the shaming and the um, taboo, that's, that's one thing. That's the emotional side of it. But honestly, the physical pain, like you feel like you've hit menopause and you should be free. You don't have to worry about getting pregnant. You don't, you know, you're, you're free to go. And yet yeah. now you can't have sex cause it hurts. Like, so I think that's really important. Um, I wanted to. Well, I would make the distinction between so a couple of things on this. I, I would make the distinction between penetrative sex and sex, right? Because yeah. there's lots of kinds of sex that doesn't penetration. I think that's a that's a that's a pressure also that we put on couples. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of times in our lives too. It's not just menopause. Like child childbirth is one of these chapters where penetrative sex becomes kind of like yeah challenging. Um, certainly, I mean the couples that are going through cancer. Um, I mean everything about that's terrifying. And then on top of it, you have this stress. So I want to just encourage people listening to expand our thoughts. And I have four teenagers. And so we also, (laughs) and we also talk about penetrative sex is not the only kind of sex, right? And that I think that the young folks actually have a broader view of that. Well, certainly enlightened. I think the whole, our whole society is just open up about that. That this is not all just about, you know, Mm-hmm. School. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Banging in the backseat of a car. I feel like, um, you know, we, we really, sh- we give such leeway to, you know, immediate gratification, um, you know, uh, spa treatment, reconstructive surgery, like facelifts. Yeah. Like I can't even think of all the words, but where, where we begin, but, right? But where, when it comes to pleasure, we shame ourselves we shame each other like we don't talk about sex we don't do this that's the most pleasurable thing you can do like from what yes. i recall it's yeah. uh, better than a back massage but absolutely you, you know, know there's a great book i just want to reference for anybody listening uh for for yourself for your partner for your kids give it to yeah. your kids your daughters your sons and everybody in between she comes first amazing Ooh. book she comes first Okay, what's it that about? Absolutely beautiful. I cannot recall, but if you go to you know if you go online and just Google, uh, I'll find it. Book and, <laughs> and everyone's uh, getting that for Christmas in my it's, house. <laughs> uh, it's so beautiful. It's written by this lovely man who has just this in- incredibly enlightened perspective on it. So, but the other thing I wanted to say about penetrative sex is 
a lot of people do want to have penetrative sex, right? Yeah. It's, it's fabulous when it's fabulous. Um, and we have published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine uh, a survey. So it's not a randomized controlled trial. And um, it's a survey of Millie patients, right? So those are the disclaimers. But it's 240 patients. And of the patients that wanted to return to intercourse as a goal, and not everybody, not all Millie patients do have that as a goal. Um, but of them, within six months, 86% were able to return to intercourse. Wow. This is a very treatable condition. On average, they've been suffering for five years, on average. That's crazy because and see, I, I read clinicians who can't help them, right? It's such a straight, I just, I'm so glad to have this opportunity to share it so that all of these patients, so whether you're in menopause or you're a cancer survivor or sexual assault survivor, or you have endometriosis or fibroids, or you had a baby and you think it's sort of, sort of like there's something wrong with you because yeah. sex hurts right now, or mm-hmm. maybe it's been going on for a while and you just can't get back in the game. It, yeah. It's, you are so not alone. Millions and millions and millions of women have this problem and it's very treatable. And Millie, you know what I love about Millie and one of the things actually I started, I started work, my engineering life in pharma and I had a wonderful time. I, did, I worked on some products that I really feel good about. Um, and I think the pharmaceutical industry is complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for sure in menopause, I bet you have a lot to say about this, Jackie, is um the, the pharmaceutical industry is tr- trying to help. I'm going to go on. I'm going to. I'm going to say they're trying to help. Yeah, but it's complicated, and there's been a lot of misinformation and miscommunication and confusing research and not enough research. Millie is a straightforward medical device. Right? You yeah. just buy it and use it, and it's very straightforward. Like sex hurts because my pelvic floor is overactive. I want to learn to relax. I want to learn to open back up. You know, and once you start not hurting. Pleasure is now within reach. Like yeah. we don't make any claims about pleasure. Um, yeah. Although I think if you take a look at Millie, it's sort of obvious that pleasure could happen. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's so funny this this continuum, like women's pleasure definitely is confronting to the patriarchy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And we want to take a stand for that. But really what we're all about is trying to reduce the pain and make it, make it easier to relax and open up. You know, I have a question about this because I, I'm following Femtech right now very closely because some of the things I'm seeing that are happening are incredible. And what I love is that a lot of what I'm seeing in Femtech is female led Femtech, which, you know, you're obviously you represent that. Um, it really is important to me, like personally, when I see products come to market that, um, that are worked on by women, because I swear to God, that whoever invented the OB tampon was a man. Whoever invented <laughs> the speculum, when you get a pap smear, also a man. Like, like, if guys went through this, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> That's my honest to God belief. But I don't think it's like on purpose. It's, you know, it's not vindictive. It's more just they don't understand what it feels like. Um, and when we talk about like, I think reproductive health, it's not, you're never just talking about your physical health. You're talking about your emotional health as well. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you haven't walked, you know, in our shoes, how Mm -hmm. would you be able to create a product and hit all the touch points? Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I think is, is great is seeing so many women in femtech. Mm -hmm. What I am getting concerned about in Canada, uh, 
like you have FDA approval, you went through the whole process, but there's, um, there are some brands that are releasing products that are um, meant to help with this type of thing or incontinence, mm-hmm. but they're skirting the FDA um, because of the, you know, the length of time it would take to get a product to market. And they're classifying themselves as uh, health and wellness products mm-hmm. so that they don't have to sell them in doctor's offices and they can sell them at Indigo or chapters. And, you know, I don't know that I would like, I don't know that I would trust a product that hadn't, didn't want to go through FDA approval if I'm going to put it in my uterus. Um, my partner, my partner Ramona is a two-time breast cancer survivor with the Barak gene. So, you know, having Wi-Fi or Bluetooth near her uterus is not a good idea, but, you know, for the average consumer, you're not thinking of these things. You're thinking, oh, there's a product on the market. Finally, you know, like yeah. this, the safety around this concerns me. I feel like, again, our health is being somewhat ignored by the fact that I think all of these products need some sort of um, governance. If that's oh, the word. Preach. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I could, I agree completely. And I think that this is, there's so much to say about the history of OBGYN in particular um, as being medicalized by white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas historically, I mean, there's a, a a documentary I highly recommend called Aftershock. It just came out about a month ago on Hulu. Aftershock. It came out, yeah, I think in July 2022. Okay. Um, Aftershock, and it is focusing in on the racial inequities in OBGYN and maternal mortality in particular. Huge oh. issues in the U.S. Uh, I think black women die from the same symptoms three times more often than white women. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a big problem and it's a super enlightening documentary. And as a, as part of the background, they talk about the origin of OBGYN and it was, it's a very upsetting origin as a vertical. Um, and there's a lot of healing to do. What I, what my experience has been is that because there has been so little innovation, there's, there's actually a, a, a vicious cycle going on. So women don't talk about their symptoms. If women were talking about their symptoms, then doctors would at least be interested and, and mm-hmm. you know, you'd like to think, right? Yeah. There's, there's a problem there too. Like women don't get listened to when they do say something. But in the, in the healthy cycle, let me just pause and say, in the healthy cycle of medical innovation, patients would talk about the problem. Doctors would be educated about it in medical school and be open to what the patient's saying. And if the standard of care isn't good enough, there are a lot of entrepreneurial doctors that come to people like me, the engineers and entrepreneurs who say, you know, oh, so you, so this is your problem. This is your idea. You'd like to make it better like this. And then we turn it into a product and take it through. We go to investors and say, hey, this is how big the problem is. Millions and millions of patients, right? It, and they say, okay, yeah, I can see that's a big problem. They invest. We develop the product, get the clinical data, the clinical evidence. This is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. The clinical evidence in a racially diverse group of people so that it's tested on the people that will actually be using it, which is important, um, ethically, and uh, and get it through uh, regulatory clearance, whatever country that is. And then companies like us would be acquired by big companies that have the commercial reach to get it back to the patient that had the problem in the first place. So the problem in women's health is that's broken in pretty much every quadrant, right? Like, so... Patients don't talk. Clinicians don't have the adequate education. There's not enough research. Then entrepreneurs like me 
have aren't getting approached, so there's not as many ideas. When we do, the venture capitalists, private equity folks say, well, I've never heard of that. I don't know if that's a big problem or not. It's hard to relate to this. Imagine this miss you say, I've never heard of it. <laughs> well, that's right? the point. <laughs> our investors are amazing and, and absolutely are seeking out allocation in women's health. But then right. there aren't a lot of big exits in our space. So then investors are like, I don't know. I've never seen anybody make any money in this space. I mean, up until maybe five years ago, most people who are trying to raise money in women's health were literally being told by investors, women's health is not a market. It's wow. Population, right? It's not a niche. But that's five, just in the last five years, this is starting to change. And um, I think femtech is a controversial word. Um, I like it. Some people don't. I, but I think it, we need something to, there's definitely a trend, right? And yeah. we're inventory medical is part of it. We're just one part of it. There are a lot of really great companies. But I think that the, what this problem has created is a lot of companies who are trying to get their, like, I just assume benevolent intent, right? They're trying to get their products to patients that need them and they can't raise the money to do it right. Yeah. And maternal medical, we are, we are doing it right. And yeah. we have FDA clearance and we're investing in a hugely expensive clinical trial to try to change the standard of care and childbirth um, in a really gentle, non-interventionist way. Um, but boy, is it expensive. <laughs> yeah. Will it be expensive um, to the consumer, the end user? Yeah, well, I guess that's a I think bigger million, question. So, yes and no. Our goal for the childbirth product is to, to be to be covered by insurance, right? So that it would be accessible to everyone, notably in the U.S. in medic by Medicaid, which covers forty five percent of births. Remember, um, so I, I, that's definitely our goal, and we've structured our clinical endpoints to enable us to become standard of care covered and accessible by all patients that want it. Mm -hmm. um, I would say Millie is in a different category in that in the US, and I think it's better in Canada, physical therapy just kind of broadly is not reimbursed, right? So, and it's yeah, so that's upside down, right? Yeah. I would say, I would agree, but I haven't had health benefits in a long time because I work for myself. So, um, but yeah, I do remember like when I did have a health plan, my insurance would cover like maybe 200 bucks a year. It's like one appointment. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and a I know. And it's so upside down because they won't cover the physical therapy, but they'll cover the surgery. Right. Which is. Yeah. But cost. yeah, I don't get that. Okay. Well, it's that's upsetting. Yeah. So much, it, so much to be addressed. <laughs> well, we have a wonderful new foundation in Canada called the Menopause Foundation of Canada, and they're advocating for women's health here um, for, you know, more options, better treatment, coverage, etc. like all the things we need. But yes. if you look to the UK, they're really talking about this here. They're, they're developing clothing lines for women in menopause and fashionable too. Not like nice. here's a frumpy moo-moo. Um, you know, the, <laughs> but although like, we all have the moo-moo days. We do have the moo-moo days, <laughs> especially during COVID. But you know, like um we have to change the way we think about menopause and sex, etc. Like if you think that like J Lo and Jennifer Aniston are definitely perimenopause, possibly menopause. Mm -hmm. I mean they don't, they're the same age as the golden girls were. 
Right. Like, look at the difference. Look at the difference, right? You know, the per- like the way that we perceive them, but we certainly don't attach uh, aging or menopause to those actors, to Jennifer Aniston or JLo or any of the other beautiful women in that industry, but they are. Absolutely. Stay well, away that's where it's that. exciting to see celebrities get, well, and I just want to thank you for putting your story out there because I think by telling your story, you make it easier for other people to tell their stories. Oh, thank you. And when celebrities do that, it's very powerful. So Naomi Watts and Stacey London are both out there. Yes. Very helpful. Very yeah. helpful for these beautiful actors to just be saying, hey, this is not okay. There are a lot of women like, you know, Oprah, Michelle Obama, like it's so inspiring mm-hmm. to see it. Um, Kim Cattrall, awesome. like you, you realize that, you know, yeah, we are aging, but it's not like they're actually, I think by talking about menopause, they're helping to, you know, fight this ageism stigma we also deal with. Definitely. Yeah. And I like, you know, this product, Millie, like it really does say, hey, you know what? We don't. We don't rule you out as soon as you hit 40, you know, we're yeah, not you used up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't put you on a nice flow and send you out. Do you ever remember that sci-fi movie called Logan's Run? Did you ever hear that? Oh movie? gosh. Long time ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So when you, so everyone had a crystal in their hand and when your crystal went clear, when you turned 30, they shot you and killed you because you were an elder and off you go. 30, huh? 30. That was in the 70s. <laughs> so um, does Millie also help with um, urinary incontinence? Is that another thing that is impacted by vaginismus? Oh, vaginismus? Vaginismus? Uh, urinary incontinence is not one of our indications. Okay. Uh, I would say that so the need to pee all the time. Or is- leakage. Oh, but yeah. the need to pee is, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. more about like, so the overactive pelvic floor disorders can cause the feeling because the because the urethra and the bladder sit on top of the pelvic floor, it can feel like you have to pee all the time mm-hmm. if the muscles are really tight. Yeah, that's okay. Where we're working, we're not really working in incontinence. You know, yeah. That's a huge problem. We're trying to prevent it with our childbirth products. Of course, we don't of have course. Any to try to treat those symptoms. So. Well, um, you know, I had an interesting conversation with um, Dr. Nathan Garrett. He uh, he does vaginal reconstructive surgery, but he is very entrenched in the medical community. And he was an amazing conversation. But um, we got into this sort of sidebar about the FDA and things that have gone through and not gone through and, you know, things in the women's health arena that have been ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he really like it was interesting. He threw some marketing numbers at me. Um, you know, if we can keep women in everything from pads to tampons and back and sorry, diapers to tampons to pads and back into diapers. Um you know, that's $70,000 per person a year. Think about the money behind that. So of course they don't want to give us a solution for urinary incontinence. However, you know, what I've learned now is that urinary incontinence is common, but it's not normal. It can be fixed. Common, but not normal. And physical therapy can help a lot with it. Yes, it Um, can. And I would encourage folks in the audience to try to find a physical physical therapist before you get surgery. 15% of all women get a pelvic floor surgery. 15%. Wow. Ouch. A lot of surgeries, right? Covered by insurance. Wow. I don't. Physical therapy isn't, right? But if you you can't afford it, 
please try it before you, because about half the time physical therapy can, um, oh, yeah. can get you back where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I, and that's so true. I actually have my next appointment in a few weeks. Um, I go to these women um, just around in Toronto in the GTA, that Mississauga Pelvic Health. And wow, I learned so much by talking to them just about, you know, things that weaken our pelvic floor, you know, like if you have to poop and you're pushing, you know, like people, we don't think about these things. Right. And um, anyway, so I've, I've had one appointment and they fixed something right away for me, which was amazing. And something I never thought of, like, but my doctor never thought of it, you know, and they're just not trained to think about it, I guess. But everybody should have a squatty potty too. I don't. Yes, I've heard about that. I don't have any stock in this company. Just get a squatty potty. They're good for you. (laughs) (laughs) So we can't get Millie in Canada yet? You cannot. I I have to say it's one of the biggest frustrations of the company because we get inbound requests from all over the world. I'm sure. Every week. Every week. Um, and it's just expensive to to commercialize in other countries and Europe. And so we want to, for sure. Yeah. Our yeah. expectation, uh, what would be normal in our ecosystem would be that a company like ours would be acquired by a big company that has the, that reach and that funding. Right. right? So that's, that's normally how our ecosystem works. Um, but, you know, if that's not the path for us, then we will raise more money and we will get it international. I, I mean, vaginismus is incredibly common. Also, one thing I didn't mention, for folks that were raised in or, really orthodox religious situations, all religions. So super common in India, Saudi Arabia, um, really anybody who's grown up in a very super Christian or super Jewish, like any orthodox situation where women are not expected to be sexual beings until suddenly they're married and they're supposed to have sex. Yeah. Very common to have vaginismus at that point. That would be more of a primary vaginismus set. And most, mostly the, 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 the word that we're trying to get out is the secondary vaginismus, right? You've got menopause. Maybe think about this. You might, Millie might be able to help you yeah. um, with a condition you may not realize you have. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it's, it is, it's an interesting thing. And we do want to go international for sure. Yes. Well, we want you in Canada. I'm just curious if I go to my doctor tomorrow and say, I think I have vaginismus. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Should be vagio what? Yes, you do have a vagina. No, no. I would tend to, I'm, what I would suggest is saying, I think my, pel- my pelvic floor feels really tight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That might, um, you know, just talk about the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Like it feels really tight and it's hard to get anything in. I feel like I have my pelvic floor is overactive. Yeah, I want to say also, this can happen to men too. Like men have a lot of um, pelvic floor issues too. The symptoms for men are um, painful ejaculation and painful urination. You're kidding. So it's the pelvic floor, you know, it's, it goes around all that same stuff for guys too. Um, Millie does not, we don't have any indications for that. But I just, you know, I, I always say women are not going to heal until men heal too. Yeah. So if you have a male OBGYN that you're talking to or your GP, um, just say, you know, I mean, overactive pelvic floors happen to people. They're actually super common, super yeah. common, and especially in our stressed out lifestyle. Yeah, right? it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking if it's a word that, you know, <laughs> so many people have never heard of before, like, would your doctor know? But it's good to Probably describe not, it that actually. way. Yeah. Probably like my doctor... Not. And if they if they were educated about vaginismus, they would probably think it's a very rare condition. They would probably uh, think of it as like 
the the young girl who just can't get a tampon in for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Weird about her. Um, and they may not have any education. So in the U.S., I saw a stat from AARP that 80% of OBGYN residents graduating medical school, 80% have no training in menopause. Yeah, actually, um, I know that the doctors here in Canada, they get about two hours of training and that's it. But that's changing. It is changing. It's changing, right? Um, Especially as yeah. companies like ours get funded and people yeah. like you keep making noise. Yeah, yeah. My doctor is actually doing her own research into it, which is amazing. So I love yeah. to see that kind of progression. Tracy, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I think that I, I want to stay in touch. I want to hear like what Materna's coming out with. I want to know when Millie's coming to Canada. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I want to keep this conversation going with you because you have so much knowledge about the conditions women are suffering and potentially what's coming down the pipeline, even if it's in the U.S. and not in Canada. Like if it works and it passes FDA approval, then there's hope that we'll see it here, you know, and, and it just helps us to understand, oh, there's this condition we should be aware of, you know, and, and how to cope with that. So thank you so much. Thank that was so much. Your wonderful. Is so important. Oh, thank you. And I'd like right, to see you. you behind all this. So I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. <laughs> you too.